Welcome to Adoption Now, sharing real stories of the joys and challenges of adoption. Now here's the host of Adoption Now, April Fallon. Hi, welcome to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. So I have two happy things to share with you today. Number one, my mom has been doing so much better. She was able to travel here for my cousin's wedding this week. And guess what? She's here in studio now. Mom, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Can you believe it? It's a miracle. It it is a miracle. Yes. For those of you who don't know, my mom was diagnosed with cancer in April, and that was shortly after she came on the show and shared what it was like to be a parent of an adult child adopting children. But those of you that heard it, you really loved her perspective and how much adoption actually changed her, not only us as parents, but for our extended parents, for for the grandparents. And she shared what she learned just about how to connect with your kids and to support your kids, even though you might not understand everything they're going through. And it's very difficult to see your kids be going through pain or loss through the adoption process. And so she shared her story, and that is a podcast. You can find that on iTunes or at adoption-now.com. Mom, after you got diagnosed with cancer, I mean, things got really, really bad. Yeah, they really did. After chemo and radiation, we thought, okay, she's making it through, and then all the complications. And there was a point there that I I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I really started to wonder if you were going to make it through. Yeah, there was a point I was wondering if I would, too. I was very weak. What do you think was the turnaround? You know, I'm not even sure. I think it was when I uh, was able to eat. I think that's what turned it around. Once I was able to eat real food and not depend on uh, the feeding tubes, and I think that was probably when I started feeling like I'm I'm improving. I just can't believe how many people reached out to me and, and just let me know that they were praying for you. And so it means a lot to me to have my mom here today and join this interview and just be able to to spend time with us and, and with our kids and with our whole extended family. It's been an amazing time. And, and I'll never forget at this moment, really. I mean, you still have surgery ahead of you, but God has done an amazing thing. He has done an amazing thing. Always at the 11th hour, it seemed like with really testing my faith but um, he held on to me the whole time even when I had very little grasp of him he held me and I'm thankful and I'm thankful for all your prayers because there were moments where when I couldn't pray I just leaned into the prayers of all the people praying for me thank you very much so number two our exciting news is that many of you know I lived in Uganda for three years Africa is my heart And it's my great honor to announce that we are partnering with an elementary school in Uganda. It's been a long time dream for my friend Lydia to start her own school. And it's been up and running for about two years now. Lydia is one of my closest friends. Honestly, you know the the scripture that says, there's a friend that sticks closer to you than a brother, even though we're not brothers, like sisters. I mean, she and I have been friends since I lived in Uganda and all the way through. And so to watch her dream and hope for something bigger in her life and, and in Africa, seeing a dream being fulfilled, you know that she's worked really, really hard. Lydia is an amazing teacher 
and she just has a heart for children in need. Adoption Now is about to supply a mini oven for the kids to learn how to cook, and we'll be partnering with them to help with material needs in ways to improve the kids' education and school experience. So I'm proud of the school. I'm very proud of you, Lydia, if you're listening. And I can't wait to see the pictures and really involve our audience and our listeners in what you're doing in Uganda, Africa. I am really excited about this interview. I know I say it every single week, but I'll tell you what, I love adoption stories. My next guest who contacted me from Oklahoma... Her name is Beth, and she has adopted from Nigeria. This is our first Nigerian adoption story. Beth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, April. How did you hear about us? Um, well, there was uh, a point after we had been matched with our daughter that I dove into everything on the internet that had adoption tagged to it. Um, and I ran across uh, your Facebook page. Um, and from there, found your blog um, and your uh, podcast and just kind of started listening to some shows and got really interested in, like, keeping up with the different families that you had on. Well, I'm excited to share your story because it's really amazing and it's very unique because you and your husband, when you got married, you both did not want kids. Is that true? Well, Shane did not want children, um, and I did, and so... As we were going through our premarital counseling, we knew that was going to be the biggest issue that we had to work through um, in our marriage. Everything else was, we, we came from very similar backgrounds and um, family situations, and so there weren't very many differences between us except for that one thing, and that one thing was pretty big. So, yeah, there was, we were on polar opposite ends of the spectrum when it came to kids. What was the advice that you were getting in marital counseling with that? Um, well, we actually had the privilege to talk with um, a licensed counselor that also took us through a marriage and family class that we took at our university. And so basically, the core of it was just communicate, you know, stay in constant contact with each other on this subject. Um, and you're going to have to work it out. And there's going to be a compromise one way or another, because you can't both get what you want in this instance. So that's the mindset that we had. But we never actually got to fleshing that out wholly because we were pregnant before we were ready to have that conversation. So it was kind of decided for us at that point. Wow. How did your husband respond to that? Well, we actually both kind of responded the same way. Um, we were both a little, I don't want to say unhappy, but very unprepared for it. Even though I knew I wanted to be a mother we had not talked about it yet. We weren't on the same page. And so I was upset that, <laughs> that this was not a result of us growing closer together in our marriage, but just as a result of life. And so we were both very oh, uh, taken aback with what uh, was happening. And we were, not only were we pregnant, uh, but we were also both changing jobs. I was starting a brand new career and we were going to be making a move to a different part of the state. So it was kind of a lot of big things all at once. So you had a baby boy, baby Alan. Talk to us about mm -hmm. that first year. Oh, that first year was so hard, um, but so good, but really, really hard. Just all these things that you, you don't know how to handle until you go through them. So if there was a huge learning curve, and I had even had the opportunity, you know, to feel like I was attaching to my son throughout the pregnancy and even though, you know, I had never met him before, there was at least a connection. And Shane just felt really left out with that. He felt no connection to Alan because, 
you know, the way that he forms relationships is how I would think many males form relationships by doing things. You know, they, they attach to people because they either have common interests or they can do things with them. And, you know, he felt kind of useless when it came to taking care of Ellen because I was breastfeeding and he couldn't help that much with that. And he, he was scared every time he changed his diaper or changed his clothes because Alan was kind of small and he just really didn't want to break him. And all of it was so new. That first year was hard. Uh, as we got closer to Alan being a year old, things got better because, you know, Alan started sleeping more normally. And so we were sleeping more normally and my hormones leveled out. And so we started to feel a little more like our old selves with just kind of a a new schedule and a new normal and so the first year was hard but we we got through it (laughs) we we came through it on the other side and we're good yeah it is hard in general when you want a baby Mm -hmm. but if you are looking through Shane's eyes and he didn't really want to have children and then here's his baby Mm -hmm. did that change for him did his mind change it did, um, you know, and it didn't change. I mean, not that he had a choice. <laughs> not that he had right, a choice, exactly. right? Yeah. But, you know, it's hard yeah, to exactly. accept. I mean, this was happening. Yes. But did he, I mean, I know that you're saying that he didn't feel connected and you, you kind of took over as the mom, which we do. But did he mm-hmm. feel happy that this was the turn in his life? Did he feel more fatherly? Did he feel like, okay, you know what? I didn't want to do this before, but now I feel like this is right. Yeah, absolutely he did. Um, but it, it didn't happen instantly. Like, mm-hmm. he he, re- he had been praying for our whole pregnancy that the moment Alan was born, everybody just said, you know, oh, just something falls away and you feel this larger-than-life love for this little human that, you know, came from your flesh and blood. And, you know, he was praying that that would happen. And when Alan was born, it didn't. And unfortunately, that's just one of the things that's romanticized about having kids is, is oh, my gosh, the is the feelings that you'll have. And some people have that, and that's great. But for most people, I mean, the delivery room is chaotic. There's crazy sights, you know, like Shane was kind of helping with the, the birth process with our doctor. I mean, there, there was a lot of stuff going on. So it was an emotional roller coaster. And uh, after the first few months, I think it was, I think, and Shane's, uh, he's written about this too. I think it was probably around month eight of Alan's life where he started to feel like he was a father, you know, not just, knowing and performing the duties of a dad, but he felt like a daddy, and he was excited to do things with Alan because Alan was, you know, he was smiling, he was sitting up, he was crawling, he was interacting with us, and it got easier. You know, he didn't just feel like this completely helpless human that, you know, Shane couldn't really bond with. He was, you know, he had a personality. Alan was starting to, he even looked like Shane, you know, like this. You know, of course, I do all that work nine months in the room, and he comes out looking like his dad. But, yeah, so eventually, Shane, he was happy to be a dad, and it just, you know, it just grows from there. Okay, so after that first year. Uh, his first birthday came and went, and we kind of talked about it, but Shane still had some walls up. And so we let it pass for a few more months. Um, and about two months after Alan's birthday, we, we broached the subject again, and surprisingly enough to me, I did not feel a strong desire to have more children biologically, and that is the first time that Shane and I had ever talked about adoption, and Shane brought it up and said, well, if you don't want to have another baby, but you feel like our family is not complete, why don't we consider adoption? 
And so that's how that conversation began. Wow, that's a huge um, jump. actually through fame. It's a huge oh, jump yeah, from I don't want to have any kids, I have a birth child, and then, hey, maybe we should adopt. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, not the norm from what we're discovering kind of in our delving into the adoption world. I do have to say, though, I do love the stories where the dads are bringing it up or the dads are the one pushing it through because it's really it's really a special thing when a man chooses to love a child that was birthed from someone else. And I say that because us as women, we often and it can be, you know, it can be flip flopped. But normally a woman can love anything, right? We can love kitties and dogs and we go on missions trips and we mm-hmm. want to take all the kids home and, you know, and so all these things happen um, for us in our heart and we can just love anyone, but it's a little bit more challenging oftentimes for a male. And so when they, when mm-hmm. your husband says, okay, this is an idea, were you thinking he's lost his mind or were you excited? It, it really excited me. Uh, near one of our families has personal experience with adoption. So, even though, you know, neither one of us had those close ties with it, I had kept up with Stephen Curtis Chapman and his family um, while they adopted their girls from China. And so even though it wasn't personally on my radar, it was something that I admired and, you know, thought was um, really amazing. So when Shane suggested that, I mean, I, I immediately dove in. I was all for it. Since, since it was his idea and he was on board, I was completely on board at that point. How did you get to Nigeria? How did you even come up with that country? Well, this, this will tell you about how little we know of the adoption um, process. We decided that we were going to put applications in for both international adoption and domestic adoption. And whichever one presented a child to us first, we were going to go that direction. You guys um, had decided you didn't want a baby, though, right? You decided you wanted right, an older right. child. Yeah, we, Yes, we decided we were not going to we were not going to do the newborn thing again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we didn't have to. We decided we would go with an older child, and we thought it would be awesome if that child was the same age as our son, so that you know they could go through the same phases of life and kind of be in the same class, so that they were having trouble adjusting to their new life. That at least when they were doing things like going to Sunday school or um, starting school, they would have their sibling with them, and that might give them a little sense of stability. So. We actually did another move across the state again, <laughs> right as we decided we were going to adopt. And we hadn't even finished unpacking all of the boxes in our house when I had scheduled an appointment with an adoption agent. So we went to that appointment and spoke with a very knowledgeable lady who told us we basically had to decide to either do international or domestic. And so we came away from that meeting, talked with our good friend who had been a social worker and decided that if we were wanting just one child about the same age as our son, the most likely avenue to produce said child would be international. So we said international adoption, and Shane didn't have a preference on the gender, and I thought I wanted a girl because we had a son already, and I wanted a little girl. So we we decided we were going to adopt a little girl from some country, and the country that we were told would have a child that matches our specifications most quickly would be India. So after a couple weeks of talking to people and talking to the agency, we signed some paperwork and started the India program through our adoption agency. And kind of in that process, I was told about a website, a waiting children website um, that is an affiliate of our adoption agencies that it would be likely 
that a child might pop up on that list that would fit our specifications just because we were searching for an older child. And so I was advised to take a look at that list every so often and there might be something come up that would interest us. So that's what I was doing for about a month. I was just checking it. Uh, actually, if I'm honest, I was checking it like literally every day. <laughs> okay. So at Thanksgiving. Yes. Thanksgiving, we had just hosted um, all of Shane's side of the family, um, which was really fun. And uh, we were kind of cleaning up from all of that. And I pulled up my computer, kind of out of habit, just to check the waiting children's site. And when I did, there were three brand new profiles of three children from Nigeria. Uh, two of them were actually infants, which was extremely unusual. But the other little girl had just turned two. And uh, it was Ruth. But on her profile, uh, on the waiting children's list, her name was Violet because they, you know, have to give them um, a name just for that profile. And so I did not know anything about Nigeria. Uh, I didn't even know it was an option because at the time that we spoke with our adoption agency, it was not an open program. It had literally opened like maybe a week or two after we had decided to do the India program. And so I emailed the agent like right then. Um, and I said, hey, I just saw this profile pop up of this little girl who is kind of about the age we were thinking. Uh, I know you're not in the office because it's the Friday after Thanksgiving, but could you give me some information on her and the Nigeria program and if it's possible to switch? And so... Did you just know when you saw her was, picture, when you saw this little girl's picture, that you just loved her? No, I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't. Like, I didn't have a feeling like, oh, she's the one. She just caught my eye. You know, she, her picture was so cute. Even though she was not smiling, it was so cute. She's just a little doll baby. And basically, it was it was just kind of checking some things off our list. She was the right age. She didn't have any noticeable health issues, which we didn't feel at the time we were ready to dive into something like that. And so I, I'm kind of a passionate person. And when I fall for something, I fall hard. So that was <laughs> it was a long holiday weekend waiting for Monday to get here so that I could talk with um, the agent about Violet and all the things uh, about the Nigeria program that we were curious about. That's how we first found out about Ruth was um, her children's profile on the agency's affiliate website for Waiting Children's Profile. Okay, Beth, we have to take a break. Everybody all is right. sitting on the edge of their seat. They want to know, is this your daughter? Is Violet slash Ruth <laughs> coming home with you? Stay tuned. When we come back, Beth is going to tell us the end of the story, and she also has very exciting news. You're listening to Adoption Now. We'll be right back. Hi, this is April Fallon, the host of Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. We love all of your feedback, ideas for shows, and applications to be on the show. Email us anytime at april at adoption-now.com. We would love for you to subscribe to Adoption Now podcast by clicking on the subscribe button on iTunes. Then you'll get a new story as soon as the podcast is released. Again, thank you for listening to Adoption Now. Now back to the show. Welcome back to Adoption Now, telling your adoption story. I'm your host, April Fallon. Today, we're talking to Beth from Oklahoma. She's sharing her adoption story from Nigeria. Now, this is the first time we've ever heard a story from Nigeria. I didn't even know Nigeria was open. Beth, this is so unique. Now, you were one of the first people to really get in this program. Is that true? Yeah, yeah. We were actually the very first family um, to adopt from Lagos, Nigeria. We were kind of mini celebrities at all of our appointments at the ministry 
because basically we were the first white family to ever take a little baby home from Nigeria. Wow. That's amazing. Okay, so Thanksgiving happens. There's this long weekend, and they call you back and say what about Violet? Basically, they tell us that we were the first family to inquire about her, and so if we would like her file, we kind of basically called dips. So (laughs) we we looked over her file, and the requirements for Nigeria's in-country stay were quite different than India's, and so we needed to talk to a few people to make sure that we were able to do that. And after we did that, we were like, yeah, that's That's what we want. What's the difference? Um, Well, the the difference is the in-country stay for finalizing the adoption in Lagos, Nigeria was one to three months. (gasps) Um, And mostly because they are not a part of the Hague nation, um, the Hague Convention, right. And it's only because the state of Lagos. So Nigeria is broken up into 36 states. I believe it's 36. And each state sets their own international adoption policy. And Lagos is the only open state right now. So since all of the states in Nigeria can't get on the same page, they can't be a part of the Hague Convention. So we knew we were going to be there for uh, one to three months. And we were only expecting you know, to do that stuff for about two weeks. So is that what India is? Is India two weeks you go over? Okay. Yes. Wow. So you have this little boy that you are either going to leave for one to three months or take with you to Africa for one to three months. Yes. That's a big decision. It was, uh, it was so big. And we had decided that we were going to take him with us because everything we were getting from Ruth's update was that she was afraid of adults, but she was very comfortable around other children, especially children her age and younger. And so we thought bringing Ellen with us would be a great buffer for Ruth when it came to me and Shane. But also we didn't want the first time that we were meeting Ruth to be incomplete as far as our family goes. So we wanted Ellen to be there as we were all bonding as a family. And so we had decided Alan was going to come with us. And Shane and I, we only had to both be there in the beginning for the bonding period and the legal adoption process at the court. So after the three or four weeks, that he and Alan could come home and I would stay there until we got Ruth's visa and we could fly back to the States. So that was kind of the plan. And then we were only a couple months away from leaving when we were going through some final details and um, got the huge booklet on, you know, what the process is going to be like in country or what they think it's going to be like in country. And we started reading that and, you know, it talked about bringing children and how they do not recommend that because if they get sick or if they get injured, they're going to have to take them to a hospital uh, in Lagos. And they're not anything like our hospitals here. And would you feel comfortable letting your child and you know, and it, it talks about kind of all these worst case scenario things. I'm like, oh my gosh, Alan is staying here. I'm not taking him to do that. But Shane kind of talked me off the ledge and just, you know, just reminded me that we've had faith so far and in, in this process, and, and we really truly felt that it was going to be the best situation to bring him with us. So anyway, I, I wavered on that pretty hard. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the end, but we ended up bringing it. That's absolutely what every mother would do is, do I bring our child with us? You know, you think about they have to be on anti-malarial pills. He probably had to get some of those big shots. You know, did he have to do, yes. what is it, yellow fever um, uh-huh. yep. and typhoid fever, and all those? Mm-hmm, typhoid, and then he also had to take malaria medication daily. And how did you get him to do that? Oh, my gosh. Oh, that was, oh, that was awful. 
basically what we ended up doing was crushing it up and sneaking it into some juice or something and making them drink all of it, which still didn't mask the taste. <laughs> but get this, he we still had to take those pills for, um, I think it was like two weeks after being home, mm-hmm. uh, just to be safe, you know. And so we learned like maybe the last two days that Alan would actually take the pill, like he would take it normally. But we never even, it never even crossed our minds to try a two-year-old taking a pill normally until he was already home with Shane in the last, like, three days. He's like, stop crushing this. I can just follow this. Yeah. But that's pretty impressive that a two-year-old could even attempt. I mean, I have an eight-year-old that would gag if I tried to get him to swallow a pill. Oh, yeah. You know, so that's pretty impressive. I, I mean, when I heard your story and you wrote in, it just sounds like Alan is such a, an oppressive kid all around, you know, that you he loved really this is. child, you loved this little girl, so you were willing to go forward and take that high risk. I mean, some people would call it faith, some people would call it risky, whatever you call it, it's right. just really throwing the dice at what could happen, and, you know, they're warning you about all mm-hmm. these things, so that's in the back of your mind, and yet he, he just kind of went with it. You know, as yes. you guys were saying, okay, we're going to do this. We love this little girl. So that's really amazing. How long from the time you were matched did you wait to the time you went over? Well, we were matched pretty soon uh, after Thanksgiving, like that week or two after. And then per Lagos' requirements, we had to wait 12 months between formally asking them to adopt and then the adoption court date. So we went over about a little over 11 months after we had been matched. Um, and then we had a court date almost exactly 12 months from the day that we asked to adopt her. And how long did you end up staying in the country? I was in country for nine weeks. My goodness, that is a long time. And you know what? Africa time, that's a really long time. My mom's here. You know, it we is. had her in the beginning of the show, but she's here and she was in Africa with me as well. And the days, remember the days? They were just so long. Two weeks felt like two years at times because there's not as much activity. It's slower pace. And so it can feel like a really, really long time. I'm sure you felt like nine weeks was just forever. Tell us about the moment you get off the plane and you all see this little girl for the first time. When we got off the plane, none of us had ever been to Africa before. Um, Shane had <laughs> Shane had never even been out of the country before, let alone to Africa. And so we were feeling a little bit of culture shock, but also awe because it was so different and it was so interesting. And Alan slept most of the time. So the ride to our um, residence while we stayed in Nigeria was just, oh, it was so cool. I mean, traffic was insane, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and, it, you know, we were already kind of experiencing this culture shock, and after we slept for a night and kind of got adjusted, and we met with the adoption agency we had been working with through our agency here, the morning that we met Ruth, we got in the car, and I did a little filming just because I thought, I mean, I don't know, I want, I want her to watch it when she's older. I wanted her to know, you know, what, what it was like for us when we were going to meet her for the first time. You know, as most people film, you know, right before baby's born or something, that's that's kind of what I wanted it to be like. And so we were, it took about an hour to hour and a half to get to the orphanage, depending on the traffic. And so we kind of had a long car ride and oh, I was, I was trying frantically not to get my hopes up because, you know, you have these dreams of meeting your child for the first time and then running into your arms and it being just like something out of a movie. And, and that's what everybody wants. And I know that's happened for some people, uh, but it's definitely not the norm. And so I was trying 
to rein in my expectations. And, and Shane already did a great job of that. And he's like, Beth, you know, you know she's going to cry. She's going to be scared of us. She's never seen white people before. Mm-hmm. Like, she's going to be terrified of us. And so I, I was really trying to, to work down my expectations the whole trip over. And so when we got there, we were sat down in uh, a little front room. And Alan was with us, and we were just kind of playing with some toys that were around, waiting for her to come. And I, I think they, I think they like changed her clothes and put her in maybe a nicer outfit or something, and brought her in. And we've got a video of it, and it was, <laughs> it was bad. <laughs> she was, she was terrified. It took a long time for her to even be able to stand on her own by the caregiver across the room from us before she would stop crying. And at one point. She had settled down, and she was in front of the caregiver, and we were talking to her and, you know, waving at her, and, and one of the workers told Alan he needs to go say hi, and I said, okay, Alan, go go tell Sissy hi, and he's full of personality, and he was trying to be funny, so he started kind of walking towards her, kind of funny with his arms in front, and big, exaggerated steps, but real slow, and she got scared real quick when he started doing that, backed up, hit her head on the doorknob. Oh, and it, it was it was done from then oh, on out. No. <laughs> that was about it. But eventually she she would stand being close to us and we started feeding her snacks and that helped a lot. It was just kind of off and on. We visited her for four days before we brought her home. And so, you know, the first day was bad. The second day we saw her it was a lot better. She sat in my lap, so she let me hold her and we were feeding her things. She still wouldn't interact a whole lot. Um, but she was at least not crying when I was holding her, so we thought that was really good. The next day, it was horrible. It was, it was all, like the first day all over again. And then the fourth day, the day that we went to pick her up, um, I don't know if she was just exhausted and just kind of gave in, but she came to me immediately from the room, put her head on my shoulder, and almost fell asleep. So definitely not a, a romantic, picturesque first meeting or second meeting or third meeting with her. But it, it wasn't as traumatic as it could have been, you know, so. What's your advice for families getting ready to go over to bring their child home? Yeah, uh, my advice would be just to remember that attachment goes both ways. Mm-hmm. Because everything that families have prepared for so far is that the child is going to have issues bonding. They're going to have issues attaching to their new family. It's going to be hard. They're going to be experiencing all kinds of trauma all over again. And that's all very true. But I don't think anyone can fully understand how that affects us as parents, even adoptive parents who have committed to loving this child already. It really does affect you. And you don't understand how entwined your emotions are to how you're feeling about this child. And so just expect that it's not going to be easy for the child. And it's probably not going to be easy for the mom and dad either, or maybe even the siblings. That's great advice. How did Alan do? Oh, he did. He did fantastic. Oh my gosh. I just, I don't know. He's incredible. He, he thinks Ruth hung the moon. I mean, Hmm. every, he wanted her to play with him. He wanted her to do everything. I mean, he wanted to show her all of his toys that he brought. He wanted her to watch his favorite movies. He, he just, he adored, he adored her from day one. And he was patient with her process. He was, he was very patient. And, and even though he, you know, he couldn't figure out how to help her when she was upset. He would try to do things. I mean, he would make funny faces, even though it would make it worse. Or he would do just these other things to offer her toys or, or crayons or something just to help her make make her feel better. But yeah, he did great. That makes me laugh because 
if he is funny, a funny child, he must have been like, wait a second, why are my jokes not working? Why are my facial expressions not making her laugh? But one of the things that you talked to me about is her grief in leaving the orphanage. And we don't really think about that. We think about they're gonna, the child's gonna look at you and say, thank you so much for taking me out of these bad conditions. But they really mm-hmm. don't feel that way necessarily. And you told me about the grief that Ruth experienced leaving what she knew, what was familiar to her. Talk to us about that. Mm-hmm. So when we drove, we, we drove home from the orphanage, which was already asleep. It was, you know, it was kind of during her normal nap time. And Shane was, he was pretty concerned about what she was going to think uh, when she woke up and she was in a completely different place. And when we did get to uh, our residence in Lagos and she woke up, she was very upset. She would cry and uh, point to the door. Um, She wasn't talking, uh, but she would point to the door. And I just, I just knew that she wanted to leave. She wanted that car to come pick us back up and take her back to the orphanage, uh, back to Miss Vivian and Miss Salome that were her caregivers that she knew and she trusted and, and all of those older girls at the orphanage that she doted on her, I knew she missed them. Even though it shouldn't have, it hurt my feelings uh, because mm-hmm. I wasn't truly prepared for how that would affect me. And so there were there were times that we could pump down the food. You know, she, she'd never seen so much food in her whole life. And so uh, she ate a lot. Oh my gosh. We were concerned she was eating too much. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't even think that was possible but like she literally ate almost an entire loaf of bread in one sitting one day and we were really concerned about that but that that slowed down eventually when she realized that the food wasn't going anywhere that it would you know still be there and sometimes food would calm her down sometimes distractions like we brought um ipads uh and she had obviously never seen anything like that before so except for a a phone her caregiver did have a, a smartphone this had games on it with lots of colors. Sometimes that would work. And other times, maybe putting on a movie. That was really interesting. But yeah, there were many moments in those first few weeks where she was just visibly upset to have been separated by the people that she had come to know and care about and who she knew cared about her. Because, you know, we hadn't proved ourselves to her yet. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she didn't really know who we were. And even though she had seen our pictures and even um, talked to us via video messaging, she had no idea who we were and we were complete strangers. And all mm-hmm. of a sudden, even though she was in a nice house with air conditioning and plenty of food and all this luxury, it was not what she knew and it was not who she knew. And so she was having, yeah, a really difficult time for the first few weeks. When did you see a change in her? We saw a little bit of improvement uh, within the first few days. We saw her first smile, which was nice. And then there was a, a moment when she started talking. Uh, we, had, we had no idea what she was saying. Neither did Alan, but she was kind of talking to Alan as they were both playing on their little iPads together. So we, we figured that was improvement as well. Our whole time in Nigeria was difficult, especially when Shane and Alan had to leave and Ruth didn't have a playmate anymore. Those were, I, I think there was some relapse there because she she wouldn't play with me like she played with Alan. And so she was a lot quieter. She, the, the smiles and the babbling that we had kind of gotten used to was gone again. And uh, so that was that was difficult. I'm sure she was confused because, you know, she's with you guys and then all of a sudden two of you leave. It sounds like Shane was really 
attaching to her quickly. And that's, that's funny to me just because earlier in the story, when you had the biological baby, he struggled so much to be a father and to be involved, but he really just kind of jumped into fatherhood with this little girl that he didn't even know. Were you surprised about that? I wasn't surprised, but the gravity of that fact didn't hit me until, you know, we were living in it. And Ruth was kind of scared of Shane in the beginning. And as, and Shane, he really, really wanted to interact with her, but she was not having it for the first few days. But there was a point, probably about a few days to a week before Shane and Alan traveled home, that Ruth took a little brush that came with a My Little Pony doll we had given her, and she started brushing Shane's beard. Hmm. Oh, and he, you could just tell Shane was loving it. It was, hmm. and, and Ruth was laughing because it was funny. And then Alan went and grabbed another little brush from another little pony. And he started doing the same thing. Oh, and they just thought it was the funniest thing ever. And that was a, that was a truly special moment to see Shane bonding with Ruth that quickly and that deeply when I, when I know he had had, you know, so many struggles with Alan as a baby. So yeah, that, that was a great moment. Oh, and then they left <laughs> a few days later. You know, in adoption, as a mother, an adoptive mother, how you don't take these little things for granted. You know, these little things where when you have a child from birth or you have a birth child, you know, they play with dad or they're just being themselves. And then all of a sudden when right. you meet an older child that you're going to bring home, the little things are so important. And you try to tell other people and they're yeah. kind of like, well, yeah, okay, a little pony, my little pony brush. But to you guys, it meant so much because she was starting to trust you. And every little thing, I remember we have one story where the father had a really hard time with the older child. And one day she let him feed her juice from a juice box. And it was this huge day for them where every day for, you know, maybe for you and Alan, like, of course he would let you do that. Or, you know, you just really stop and you just you just look at the child and you look at these landmarks or these things that they're doing and you really celebrate, you celebrate those things because you see that this was different from the day before. And it's so little, but those things matter. And so slowing down as adoptive parents and really looking for those, for those little changes is really, really important. Tell us the time frame and when you brought her home. Okay. It was nine weeks total uh, that we were there. We got our visa. We came home. Oh, the, I don't even want to talk about the flyover. That was awful. <laughs> it was long traveling, and, you know, she was still in the process of attaching to me and would pretty much attach to any stranger who would give her what she wanted in the moment and reject me, and that happened Oh, she was mommy shopping. We, we call it mommy shopping when they're, yes. Oh, yes. you know, they'll go yes. to anyone. Oh, my gosh, that's a great term. Mm-hmm. That is a super term. That's what she was doing. She was mommy shopping because, you know, I wasn't giving her extra sugary snacks. Mm-hmm. And you know all all this other seemingly insignificant stuff, but I mean it would put her it would put her completely out. And so I was I was just and, and we were both so tired anyway. We were I was ready to get home, um, and I was expecting there to be a pretty significant relapse in her attachment when we got home because it was going to be a new environment. It was I mean it was just cold. You know she it never gets below like. 70 degrees in Nigeria on their coldest day and we were coming home in the middle of January in Oklahoma. I mean, they, you know, there had just been a polar vortex a few weeks ago, so it was going to be cold. Mm-hmm. So I was worried about how she was going to handle that and everything, but I mean, April, it was amazing. Lo and behold, she never slept alone a day in her life. After one week of being home, she was sleeping through the night in her own bed. 
which we did not wow. expect mm-hmm. and were not even prepared for. Like, I don't know, something, something, a switch flipped when we got her home and she was with Alan again. Um, and she probably saw me relax a whole lot because I was finally home with my family again. And it was, it was, it was truly dreamlike. And I hesitate to say that because I don't want families to expect that that's the normal because it, I know it's not. I know the normal is those nine weeks we had in Nigeria. I think that's normal. So thankfully, her transition home uh, was nothing short of a speed bump. I mean, you know, it, it was awesome. And and from then to now, I mean, she's been home uh, almost exactly nine months now. It'll be nine months today. Um, and she's, I mean, she's doing fantastic. Like, you would think that she was born and raised here. Um, you would think that we have always been her family. And, and thankfully, through all of our prayers and support through family and friends, like there have been no serious attachment issues. You know, every once in a while, she'll still prefer another adult to me. She'll still mommy shop for someone who's giving her what she wants, especially when it's a grandparent, because they will give her whatever she wants mm-hmm. as often as she wants. But other than those typical struggles that we just kind of have to work through as we're getting to them, it's been it's been amazing. It's been truly amazing. And she is the most resilient little girl I've ever met in my life. I mean, she went from being scared of being put down by me in the first few weeks of me knowing her to now climbing rock walls on playground equipment and doing all of this <laughs> all of this adrenaline stuff and just saying, Mommy, watch because I mean she just feels so safe. She's mm-hmm. so she's so adjusted. That's amazing. And Alan and her are inseparable, you were saying. They are. They are best friends. And uh, I think the the attachment may be a little heavier on Alan's side <laughs> because he'll tell Ruth, Ruth, you're my best friend. And she goes, yeah, Gracie's my best friend. <laughs> so, you know, she, she does love him, but she also has other friends. So, right. so Alan, Alan is fiercely loyal to her. Uh, okay, so you brought her home January 2018, and she's just doing remarkably well. The pictures are amazing. You started a blog. What is your blog? Our blog is called halfwayaroundtheworld.com, and it's spelled like our last name, H-A-F-F. And um, we we try to document all of our thoughts pre-match and during the adoption process, and then we posted every day while we were in Nigeria, and then I've tried to do at least monthly updates to kind of talk about the things she's been doing since we've been home and how well she's been progressing and some other things. She does have to take physical therapy and she needs speech therapy, so those are some other ongoing hurdles that we're jumping kind of as we get to them. But I like to document that stuff, especially for prospective adoptive families who kind of want to see what it's like beginning to end and and then through the adjustment at home, you know, because I, I remember being there, you know, just two years ago wondering, what, what is it even like? You know, what's this like? What's that like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there are just so many questions that I, I, love, I love to be really transparent, even in the really hard moments, because I just feel like we do a disservice to families who are looking into that by not talking about those things and, and especially saying that those difficulties in no way take away from our desire or even the significance of doing this adoption thing. I mean, it's so worth it, even though it does have hard things. So that blog is, it's really, it's really in depth and I welcome anybody to check it out. 
Okay, so that's halfway around the world, and the half has two Fs. And I I recommend you check it out just to see the pictures alone. <laughs> you will just die. I mean, they are so yes. cute, both of your little boy and your little girl. They're just adorable, and you can see on her face, her eyes are bright, and she's happy, and she's she's just beautiful. I mean, what you guys have done is just amazing. And one of the things that you said to me that I really, really liked is that adoption is not for special or saintly people. It's for anyone willing to say yes to a child in need of a forever family. And we feel that way also. You know, we aren't superheroes. We just said yes to children in need. And we just kept going forward in the next step. And that's what you guys did. Tell us your big news. Well, our big news um, is that we have decided to go on another adoption journey for our family. And we have been officially matched with a little girl from Hong Kong. And she is just three weeks older than Alan. So we're just going to have the most unique set of triplets anywhere. (laughs) That is so awesome. When will you be able to go over and get her? Uh, We've been told that the process will take probably about 12 months, uh, maybe 12 to 15 months. It's, we already have kind of a lot of things done since we're staying with our current adoption agency. So it might be less, but it also might be more. It kind of just depends on how quickly the government works on things. Look at Shane. He didn't want any kids. Now here he is. He's jumping on the adoption <laughs> journey again. That's amazing. And I just, I'm yeah. so happy for you. When we first talked, you didn't know if this was going to go forward or if you could be matched. And and now it looks like you are going to bring home another little girl. So Beth, you'll have to come back on the show. I would, I would love to. I absolutely would love to. Thank you so much for your time and sharing your story. Thank you so much, April. I appreciate it. Again, her blog is Halfway Around the World. That's half with two Fs. Thank you for tuning in to Adoption Now. Don't forget to like Adoption Now on Facebook. And remember, all of our podcasts are available on iTunes. I'm your host, April Fallon. See you next week.